Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. Welcome to another edition of the Bachelor News 
Radio Show. Only bachelor glad that you decided you decided to join us this evening. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number is to get in touch with us. You can press one to get on the line. You can also um, get to us at uh, Facebook and. Uh, uh, Pat Nation, Pat Nation uh, Twitter, Pat Nation, Pat Nation 2, and also you can check us out on Instagram at LA Bachelor 40 or uh, in the chat room. Our chat room is open. I want to bring in my first guest. He is a syndicated talk show host. Always good to have him on, bringing the information that we need to hear regarding the world of politics. One and only Dr. Wilma J. Leon. My brother, good evening, go. and good evening to your audience. Absolutely. Good good evening to you, Doc. Um, wanted to see you about the most recent things that the, the man occupying the White House is going through, if you will, and that's the um, – we'll get to the conversations of the things he said about military, but I want to talk about Bob Woodard, who was a uh, – you know, best-selling, uh, acclaimed um, writer and, and and reporter. Of course, he was involved with Nixon's, um, you know, sort of the catalyst for uh, the resignation of um, Richard Nixon. And of course, the deep throat and all of the information that was given with him and 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 um, some other reporters. But, you know, he writes this book. He, he is reputable. Um, Donald, Donald uh, Trump decides that he wants to not give one interview, but 18 different interviews. Um, that's damning for him. Um, it, is, is this what revelations we found, and I'm sure more to come, is this as damning or more than the – you know the Hollywood extra, whatever it was. I forget the um, the company um, where he was on tape talking about grabbing women by the par- uh, private parts and all these different things, and that didn't sink him in his campaign. Is this worse in in some some regards? I, I think it is worse because what he said um, on television about women. Um, for as as ugly and vile and disgusting as that is, um, the 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 scope of those that he may have done that to is is nobody died behind it. And I, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to 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 be very careful here because I don't want in any way, shape, or form to minimize the impact that assault on women has. I, I, 
But when you when you compare that to 190,000 people having died when in in this country as a result of of his um, of his of his inaction, and I'm not saying all those people died that that was his fault, but um, he definitely um, has exacerbated the situation. We've got uh, in this country 6.39 million total cases of COVID and 191,000 people are now dead. 1,170 people have died since yesterday. Um, I, I think, I think that his, his inaction is, is much more heinous because it has resulted in death. And again, I, I, I do not want in any way, shape or form to minimize the impact that assault on women has has on women and has on this country, uh, but 191,000 people are dead, and um, a lot of a good number of those deaths could have been avoided had he uh, acted responsibly. You know, responsible or responsibility is a key word, or the lack thereof when it comes to this man, um, and and I wonder. I, I think I know your answer to this, but th- I mean, he's on tape now. He he's on tape. He was on tape before, like mm-hmm. and like you said, this is more damning, and and because of uh, you know nearly two hundred thousand people dead in this country because of the virus. Uh, but he's on tape saying these things, saying that he and his excuses. Well, he didn't want to alarm people, but he didn't do anything behind the scenes to take care of it. If that was important, if you really if if it was really about that, you should have been working behind the scenes to put things in place to help Americans. So that's just is out of order. But the point is that he's on tape. He said these things. He said so many things in regards to talking about how it's worse and it's airborne and all this. Yet I'm sure, Doc, Neil, his base will stay intact. And part oh, of the people no who died and part of the people who died in Dakota and all these other places, Red, Tulsa, all these places where he had these, these rallies or he encouraged these big crowds to be are dying. Yet I'm sure, as you said, Doc, his base for the most part will not waver at all. No, because um, he is, he, he is, he, this has much, less to do with him as a person and more it has more to do with what he with what he represents and so they'll stick by him because of what he represents remember when uh, when he made the comments about women he wound up getting 53 percent of of white women voting for him Mm. He, he was even after being an admitted sexual predator 53% 53% of white women voted for this guy. So it's 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 not as much a cult of personality as it is a um as it is a cult of ideology. And so um but you know there's a question here that that can't be dismissed. And I understand the need to sell books. But Bob Woodward you sat on this information for how long? So, you know, some of this has to be laid at the feet of, of Bob Woodward. Because 
we have to at least ask the question, had you revealed this information earlier, could something have been done? I don't know the answer to that question, but I think that question needs to be asked. You know, to your point about Bob Woodard, there's a lot of different angles up here where you look at the fact that he's probably, first of all, some people say it's not the responsibility of Bob Woodard, it's the responsibility of Trump, who who was the commander-in-chief and and supposed to be protecting America more so than the reporter. There's There's another thought that, you know, is is this whole, you know, not giving up the source, but he should have. But as you said, the other point is that if you're, you might be a reporter, but if you believe in humanity and you, you care, if you care for Americans in this country, then you could have reported. So what do you see any of the other side where people always say, well, it's really Trump's responsibility to come out and talk about this, especially since he said these things on, on uh, record with uh, the, a reporter and then lied to the public? Well, those things don't have to be mutually exclusive. So, yeah, the, 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 all responsibility lies at the feet of Donald Trump. There, there's, there's no question about that. And my asking the question, and, and I was very careful in the way that I phrased it, I didn't, I di- I didn't accuse Bob Woodward of anything. I just right. said we, we have to ask ourselves the question, um, does some of this lie at the feet of Bob Woodward? No, he was not under any legal obligation to to divulge this information earlier. But Bob Woodward, you were sitting on information that very clearly exposes the president for lying about what he was telling the American people. And so morally, I'm asking the question, right, right. Should Bob Woodward have said, you know what? Should he he should have gone to his publisher and said, I know I've got a book coming out. But people are dying here. And the country needs to know that their commander in chief is lying to them. Now, some would say, well, we knew it. That's, you know, his his revelations aren't revelations. No, what they are, they are they are confirmations of, of what we thought. They are they are confirmations of what we suspected. And so again, I'm not accusing him of anything. I'm asking question because I I think it's a conversation that needs to be had. Sure. And I think that Bob Woodward should have revealed this information a lot sooner. Right. This is not like a reporter not giving up their source for some story about some embezzlement. This no, is because the a source reporter. was on the record. The, the right, right. But I'm, this, is, this is not a source issue because, the, because he spoke on the record. Right, but what I guess what I'm saying get to the to the point of, you know, our reporters say that they don't want to get they they sat on it until it was right for whatever reason in terms of their integrity of the reporting or whatever. This is not some embezzlement case or s- somebody lied or cheated or something like that. This is is bigger than that. Um, so he should have given up the information. But let me I ask you so. this: 
Doc, sh- mm-hmm. then we we should say that, or what is the difference, I guess I should say, with uh, Michael Cohen and some of these other people, people who ha- haven't been arrested, and, and there's uh, quite a few in his, in his campaign, uh, his administration, but people who haven't been arrested, but stood in the office, worked with him, and said nothing, and still haven't said anything since they left. What's the difference between them and and Bob Woodard? None. They're, yeah, they're, they're all <laughs> none. Because again, I'm I'm separating a legal requirement versus a versus a moral obligation, and so to all. To all of those enablers that that were and are in the administration or in the uh, confidence of the president, and this is because he's the president. This is because what he says shapes markets. What he says impacts other countries. What he says uh, dramatically impacts day-to-day lives in this country that when you stand by and enable him, then you are an accessory during and after the fact. And, you know, um, what the, I, I, that, that to me, that, that, that's pretty clear. I can't, I can't sit idly by and, uh, and allow, you know, if, if, if I'm one of Jeffrey Dahmer's partners, if I play if I play poker with Jeffrey Dahmer every 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 Friday night, and I know Jeffrey Dahmer's baiting people into his apartment and eating them, I don't care how close I am to Jeffrey Dahmer. I got to let folks know uh, we got a problem here with this guy. And so, and yeah, I'm equating Donald Trump to Jeffrey Dahmer. To those of you that, <laughs> you know, heinous is heinous. It's just a different technique. Um, yeah. So you know, if 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 Jeffrey Dahmer was my son, and I found out that you know, my son was inviting people to his house and eating them, uh, sorry, son, you got to go. Yeah. You got to go. And, and- and long of the days for for this country to see something, say something. And I think that's one of the biggest problems we have that that people don't say anything, whether it be this administration or or otherwise. Um, and that and enablers even, look like and, and enablers look like us. You could just look at the the police force uh, that look like us that enable these white boys killing uh, killing us left and right all over the place. Barack Obama, George Bush. Bill Clinton, Jimmy Carter, they are all accessories during and after the fact. Yeah. The, uh, you know, they know better. They, they, need, they need to hold a press conference. And they need to say, as former presidents of this country, we need to, we are still obligated, former presidents of this country, to protect the Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic. And we're here to tell you all, in a bipartisan fashion, because some of us are Democrats and some of us are Republicans, that this guy's got to go. 
You can't be subtle about it anymore. Right. You know, not inviting him to John Lewis's funeral or what, you know, whatever. Yeah, we we get those subtleties. We understand you guys can't stand this fool, but now there it's too it's gotten too serious. They are saying, they are they are predicting that another 191,000 people are going to die from this virus by January 1st in this country. Mm. So and, you know, I was going to say the irony of, of this, uh, the hypocrisy of this, if you will, is those, those people that you mentioned, both Democrats and Republicans, um, and these parties both complain about the lack of decorum from this man, that he doesn't do things the way they're supposed to be done. All right, so play, go play his game. Get out there. If presidents don't usually speak because that's not the right thing to call out another president, do it anyway because the stakes are higher. You know what I mean? Let to me your point. You, well, and, and here's here's my final point on that. Because it's not about Donald Trump. They need to speak as former presidents to protect the office of the president. Mm. It has nothing to do. One of the things that, you know, I, 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 when we would get to this section in, in, in class with my students, I, I, had to, I was always very careful to get them to understand you've got to separate the personality from the office. Once you swear that oath and you sit in that chair, you are the president of the United States. And, and, and that office is bigger than you. That's the thing that Donald Trump has never been able to grasp, is that the office is bigger than him. He believes he is bigger than the office. And that the office is there to to serve his whims, to facilitate his interests, and to uh, increase the size of his bank account. Right. But the but the office of the of the presidency is bigger than the president. And well, I think you be. hit it on. And I think you hit it on the nail. I think. Uh... The other sleazeball, Michael Cohen, actually said this guy didn't expect to win. He was just going along for the ride to, you know, make yeah, business deals and true. get out, get everything out of it. Uh, and and so this is this is where we are. Uh, we're talking with Dr. Wilmer J. Leon here on the Bastard News Radio Show. Doc, the other uh, story that came out prior to this, still you know in the news, is the what the um, really uh, nasty and deplorable things he said about. Uh, people that served in the military that, you know, they're, he said they're pussies and uh, why do, you know, he doesn't mm-hmm. have respect. He, he didn't want to go to any funerals because why do I have to go? He called them cowards, you know, and then lied, not only lied about it. And we already have something <laughs> on record again, when he, he said that about McCain is all on record. Anybody YouTube it, you can hear what he said about McCain. He only lied about it, but then, he tried to go after the 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 upper echelon, 
of the military, the generals and those, uh, you know, not the not the, the the soldiers, if you will, but those who make the decisions on war and everything else, strategics and and, uh, and and all those things. So he can't even he doesn't apologize. And then on top of it, he comes back and criticizes even more. I guess my question again, and again, I probably know your answer. Um, is it both of these these stories damning this this realities? damning one or the other in terms of as an overall picture of the election, which is, which is worse, which is more damning for him? Not his, not his base, but just the, the, the election. Well, I'm, I'm going to say something that grammatically might not be correct, but I think it makes the <laughs> point. No, I, and I'm serious. Damning. Yes. But damaging. No. Because I think that's really the crux of your question is I I think really what you're trying to get to is not is it damning, but what's the damage? Is it going to is it going to be more damaging to him? And I would say more damning. Yes, but more damaging. Not really, because we've beat this horse to death. I mean, you can't – now it's a matter of is he lying? Well, was his mouth moving? Everything he says is a lie. So and, – and here's an example, <laughs> and I'm surprised that not more – this hasn't been, been replayed more. A couple of days ago, when the, for, when the story first broke, he comes to the podium and he says, or I, I think he was at the podium, and he, or, and he says, well, no, that, that wasn't true. You know, I, when, when they were talking about him being in, in France and right. the fog comes in and, and, they, and they're telling him that he can't go to the service. And he's saying, I wanted to go, but the Secret Service wouldn't let me go. And during his exposition of the story, he says, and what I did, I got on the phone, and I called home, and I talked to my wife, and I told my wife, I really want to do this, but they won't let me go. Well, he didn't have to call home because she was right there in France with him. <laughs> so his, so his, his, he's lying about his lie. Mm. I called home and talked to my wife. You did not call home unless you didn't know that she was right there in France with you. Unless France is his home, I guess. Maybe France is his home. Well, might be. um, (laughs) I guess I think they were going – they were in Normandy. I think it's where they were. Yeah, yeah, they were in Normandy. So, so you know, so you're like, oh, come on, man, really? But so is it it damning? Of course it is. But is is it damaging? I, I think I think this vase has already been broken. It's it's all on the it's fallen off counter. It's all on the floor. Can you break it anymore? Yeah, you can step on the sh- on the glass, but broken is broken. Yeah, no turning back. It, it, you're right, and and of course uh, he'll have his base. Let me flip to Joe Biden before you go. Um, I, I thought you know again, not the candidate I, I wanted, but it is what it is at this point. And so when you look at some of his responses, has he stayed on 
this message? Is there a message? I mean, I know he came after him when, you know, he talked about the military and so unkindly, and he talked about, you know, uh, how they, how he's uh, tried to, or he's dropped the ball with COVID-19, but he's been really trying to talk about the economy because he's still lagging there. So what is, what is your thoughts on some of the speeches he's been giving if he's been saying enough of what he will do um, as we go into these last, you know, 50 days before the election. I need him to explain every day how he's going to make people's lives better. Don't tell me you're going to do it. Explain how you're going to do it. That's what people look. Reverend Sharpton said uh, after the Democratic convention, after after Biden gave his speech, uh, Sharpton said that the speech was 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 a great speech, and that you know he talked about the metaphor of the country is in darkness, and that Joe Biden is going to be the light in the darkness. Okay, yeah, that's great metaphor. That's 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 wonderful prose. I got that, but look, there are millions of Americans that are literally sitting in the dark and there are hundreds of thousands if not millions of Americans that are looking at uh, eviction I don't need you to tell me you're going to be the light in the darkness they want to know how they're going to get the lights turned on that's what he needs to explain. Yeah, I, I actually thought Jesus was the light. But anyway, it, you know, I get your point. <laughs> they do that in there. Um, and, and to your point, uh, I, I think they better be very careful in how they respond or they continue to respond to everything that Trump says. Because Just then they get away from the that. data. You right. don't have to be careful. The num the millions of unemployed, those are valid, verifiable numbers. The the people that are about to be evicted, those numbers are real. You can use the math and speak to the data. This is not that hard to do. It, it really isn't. Just use the numbers. That's simple. That's all you got to do. It's that simple. Yep. Use the numbers. He is Dr. Wilbur J. Leon III. Doctor, let people know um, how they can follow you and your times of your show. WilmerLeon.com. Go to WilmerLeon.com. Get a, you can get a copy of the book, Politics and Other Perspective, at WilmerLeon.com. I'm on Saturdays from 11 to 2 Eastern, Sirius XM 126, Urban View. Doc, as always, I appreciate you. Love you, man. Be careful, okay? You got it. Take care. Love you too, man. Be safe. All right. Appreciate it. Yeah. Dr. Wilmer J. Leon III, syndicated talk show host. Always good to get the insight from the good doctor. 646-929-0130. The number is going to take a 30-second break. Come back and get uh, Chief Hawkins on the line. She's the chief of police in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the Bachelor News Radio Show, on the Bachelor News Radio Network, and WCOM, Chapel Hill.
Welcome back to the show. It is the Bachelor News radio show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. 646-929-0130 to get numbers. You get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line. The chat room is open. You can also hit us up, Pad Nation 2 at Twitter and Pad Nation uh, on Facebook. I want to bring in my guests. Of course, it's good to have someone in law enforcement on the air. She's the chief of police in Fayetteville, North Carolina. She's Gina V. Hawkins. And and uh, um, it's always good to have uh, police uh, officers and, and, and uh, chiefs of police. Ms. Hawkins, I appreciate your time this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And thank you to Keith Humphrey, Chief Humphrey, uh, your, your good friend and colleague. Uh, for getting you on. Um, uh, and I want to touch on a, a few areas before you go. The first with this COVID-19 uh, that's killing so many people. So many people are getting affected. So the, my first question to you uh, at your agency, how has it affected your policing? I know, obviously, masks, but is there any extra precautions? Is there anything that changed Anything different in in your your housing or your jails and when you have people there? And also, a lot of people want to know: um, Do you ever do? Uh, have you considered, or do you have the authority to consider if you get some get COVID nineteen and wouldn't the jail really bad to let say lower offenders go and on a condition to bring them back? Any things like that? Thank you. Very good question. Um, as you well, let me share educational wise. I don't have the jail. The sheriff has the jail, but I know that those are all things that he has to evaluate. So when COVID first became um, public information issues or crisis, as we know, February, early March, that that's when it really became heavy upon myself and upon our community regarding the dangers of COVID. And I started doing extensive research because we know that although many people are not going can work from home, law enforcement cannot. So we literally, in March, in approximately March 20th, we were the, one of the first uh, true entities as a police department to start wearing masks, to start taking extreme precautions, um, evaluating um, um, the cleanliness of the building, because we knew if one person got impacted, that one person can affect the whole squad, which is like 12 to 13 people at a time and how we're able to stay healthy, the ability to stay healthy impacts our ability to have services. So I do recall when, uh, when I first, one, we couldn't find any masks at that point. So we had to really start making our own masks by cloth. So we literally went to sewing masks because we could not even at that time find surgical masks. Um, so we ha- I had to figure out what can I give my employees and my officers, something to keep them safe and healthy for themselves, and literally – changing our habits. We had to get in the mindset of everyday change in the mind of creating habits that were new to us. We were, we were used to being out in the public. The next thing we decided was our encounters or engagement with the public, minimizing um, the, the, uh, the traffic stops and lowering those unless they were extreme, um, extremely needed. So we had a decrease in our traffic stops because we knew we had to respond to 911 calls. And then, um, as you know, by mid-April, most of um, governmental entities or businesses were closing down. And then we, could, we really couldn't do that. So our department as a whole, even our 
um, non-form personnel, we just start changing our habits, and we really have not operated from home. We've we've been able to space out um, work work environments, and and we've had literally minimal impact as far as we've had a few people um, catch COVID, but since we've been in operation since March in this effect, it's literally you can count on um, I believe one hand how many people have been impacted that are employees. And we've been operational. Although the city has closed down, my city has closed down. We 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 are innovative and um, taking things over the phone and using technology to to engage with the community. Um, we're having a lot of meetings on Zoom, of course, but we're also having a lot of our community meetings on Zoom. We're having a lot of the uh, the proactive um, like Citizens Police Academy in a Zoom format, or are we have another engagement opportunity. That we work with the community, like our faith forms. We invite to make sure we have the people the opportunity to have some of them come in our large building, but they're not only just social distancing, they mandatory have to wear masks, and we have all types of sanitizing um, locations throughout our building. We've really just changed our operations just to, to keep it safe and, and stay healthy. Um, we've seen an increase in calls for service. Um, we've also seen an increase in um, types of violent crime, but I think that's nationally. And we don't know, you know, it's the frustration of being in the house and, and going stir crazy or um, crime continues as it regards to, like, narcotics, drugs, uh, and things like that. So we've seen um, a, a difference in all types of crimes, um, people at home, um, burglaries a little bit lower, uh, but uh, larceny thefts are increasing. So we've seen a difference as far as how the community has been reacting or um, responding to COVID also. Mm. I was going to ask you in terms of domestic violence in particular, if that number had gone up. I I, uh, I know uh, Chief Humphrey had said that and some other uh, chiefs across the country had mentioned that. Um, it, w- with that uh, being said, is there any extra precaution? Are, are your, is your, your officers a little more apprehensive when they're going into those type of situations, especially if, if it's a physical thing when you get there and nobody has a mask on, any of that yeah. go into their mindset? Yes. So we started, we started definitely with even the call coming into our 911 center, asking those preliminary questions of the resident of the call. Once we um, get rid of the, the emergency impact of it, then we start asking uh, like triage questions. Hey, is anyone in the house ill? Are they having respiratory issues? Has anyone been exposed to COVID? So that helps the officers know if it's a location that they're responding to, that someone does say that. But then those come, then they're able to truly know because they should already be masked up. They should already have glove access, but they should also know how to truly get engaged. Now, being mindful is not going to be absolute. We know that if we get into um, an issue where we have to use force and it's quickly or we get um, in a fight and unexpectedly, we're not going to have the ability to put those precautions on. But then we have, after that, we, we take the precautions to make sure they're quarantined. And if we find someone who has been exposed, we, we self-quarantine and take our tests for our officers to make sure they don't um, affect anyone else. If you're just joining us, we're talking with Gina Hawkins. She's the chief of police in Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the Bassett News Radio Show. Chief, I, I ask about you and your your officers in that agency, and what what's the you know plan in place, your protocol there. But how about you and and your family and your officers' families? How are you guys 
holding up in the midst of that? I mean, did, is there any additional counseling or anything, any spoken apprehension for from your officers? Yeah. Officers want to stay home. Any of that going on, especially in your household as well? So, um, one, that is that is definitely an issue, especially, you know, 2020 has been very serious, you know, in the aspect, first we get impacted by COVID. And then within a few months after that, you have the civil unrest going out throughout the nation. So, and really evaluating the seriousness of this profession and acknowledging this does impact not just the individual, but our families. So making sure that we are having the resources available, doing cons- consistent checks, uh, with individuals knowing that this is serious. You know, we're at, we're talking about an economic downfall. We're talking about people um, not being able to work from family members, having to take that on, although we are working, but we have a lot of family members who may not be working. We're talking about p- p- students in school. You know, my daughter who was, at, was at finishing up her freshman year had to come home. That's an impact psychologically for the youth as well as students. So it, it does, we are part of the community and every aspect that the community is feeling officers have, and we have to make sure we're, we're doing, we're doubling down on taking care of ourselves because we can't take care of ourselves. There's no way we can go out there and service the community and help them get through their crisis that they're going through. So it's definitely a, um, a topic of discussion that we have to acknowledge, that we have to be proactive. I know that um, I'm kind of excited because we just got, I just got feedback that um, we applied for a grant for officer wellness and um, so we can have a dedicated for our agency um, for like a two-year program to to deal with not just um, the emotional, the physical, the the, um, occupational stresses of the job. So this is going to help us set up a format to help us as a department whole, not just the officers, think about our 901, our crime scene investigations, and even the personnel that, have to, that we're working through get through these serious times because this occupation, you know, we, just, is not, we can't just go to a regular counselor and get feedback. We experience things that are not normal. You know, it's not normal to go to a crime scene every other day and see a, someone dead. It's not normal to, to respond to a victim of sexual assault or a youth that's been sexually assaulted. That's not normal to not go through that and feel and have empathy for that victim and not reflect it on your own life because we all have uh, family members, we have children. So helping the officers process through that stress is another component that we have to recognize is serious. Yeah, and I would imagine you mentioned the economy with with COVID shutting shutting businesses and jobs down. That may have a large effect on crime. People don't work. You know what they're going to do, and not all the people, but they may do that as well. One one final question as it relates to COVID nineteen: Is it a city ordinance? Anything mandatory? If you step out of your house a mask i know in durham we don't have it but but you you have to have a mask in places you know you go in with a store or whatever any of that stuff going on in favorable no it's the same thing we we follow the governor's um executive order and, and operations as far as businesses and things like that so we're under the same umbrella as the state whole entire state of north carolina we're just following the uh, the governor's um, executive order if you're just joining us, we're talking with Chief Hawkins, Chief of Police of Fayetteville, North Carolina, on the Bachelor News Radio Show and the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill. Uh, I want to look at the protesting because, as you mentioned, civil unrest, the protesting, 
Um, and it, it, quite frankly, it's the protest is not just about, you know, racial inequality, but obviously it started with some police brutality that George Floyd and, and you can go on after him and before him. I mean, we, we could spend hours here and talk about those deaths, unfortunately. Um, so how has the protests have been going on? I know in Durham it's been relatively good. I know you, your colleague in in Raleigh, um, they they had some issues there. But how has it been? Has it mostly been peaceful or some rioting or anything? And, and do you feel if it's gotten out of hand, if it has, that it's been you know some agitators coming into town starting some of this ruckus? So we had one um, extreme uh, rioting night and um, an extreme um, event, and that was the 30th. And and, and that became very um, volatile, and then that continued on for the weekend. And since that time period, we've had a couple of um, bigger protest marches, but they have been in a court. They followed the law, and they've been uh, peaceful as well. So we had one major one that really impacted us a lot in, in the community. But since then, um, we've had the, also the opportunity as a department and as a city to really listen to new people in the community that became aware. So during those riots, there were definitely some, some individuals and many individuals coming in to do the looting. But then um, so as other protests continue, us knowing the individuals from the community was a benefit because then we could com communicate to them when we saw people who were not from the community try to join them and then alert them of paying attention. Look, those individuals are not part of our community. You know, if you if we're able to let them know and they can police those individuals that are trying to deviate from the message of the protest, um, they were able to control that uh, a great deal. So that worked in the benefit of truly knowing and then getting to learn the new protesters, the new, uh, the, the new activists that are coming up in the community, because this might be the first time that they um, want something to be addressed and is not, uh, is not the regular uh, residents who have been advocates of the community. So this is, this is almost, I've called it like an awakening. So I see it as a positive. I see new people more engaged in the community, want to step up and, and really care about the holistic issue of, uh, systemic racism, the holistic, holistic issue about from education to health care to homelessness, all of it, and, and really able to step up now and see what can we do together to bring awareness, to start educating it, and see what do we want to do as a community to address these things way before it becomes an issue where officers have to get involved, which is truly um, connected to community policing, connected to community engagement and involvement, them being advocates for our community. So, And, and Chief, you know, it, you have the peaceful protest. People are doing it the right way and, and following the, 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 the rules of the city. And then you have the looters. And, I mean, I, I'm not condoning anything. The, Captain Obvious is right there. Obviously, you don't want to see people damage other people's property. And sometimes, though, it, sounds, it seems like we get sidetracked to that rather than what the peaceful people are trying to get to. But is yeah. it hard for you and, and your agency, your officers to, to um, I guess not, but I'm going to ask you anyway, to put your feelings and beliefs aside when, say, you have 
Klansmen who follow the rules of the law in the city and want to have a protest or or march or something like that. And then the second part of it is is, it, is there a sense of empathy on on the part of you and your your team when it comes to black and brown people like myself who've had cops, black cops, white cops, put guns to my head and pull me for no reason. And, and, and you have your, your condition to believe, Oh, here comes the police. Oh boy. They're going to harass me. Do, do you, can, can they empathize with that as well in the midst of all of this? So on your first question in regards to us, uh, ensuring um, everyone's constitutional rights are, are protected Yes, it, you know I, I've been doing this over 32 years, and, and and the biggest, one of the biggest protests that I had to work on was in Atlanta, and it was a KKK march, and we had to have uh, extreme reinforcement to make sure they were protected to be able to uh, uh, exercise their constitutional rights to march and protest. Yeah, you, you may per in inside getting your feelings, but you have to do the job, which is to protect everyone's constitutional right to protest. So in this aspect, it, it'll continue. There, there might be um, people who create a march, and they may not be to your beliefs, but us as law enforcement, we have to make sure we we protect everyone. Now, in regards to, you know, um, the issues, I've, I've come out and totally Understand, I, I am totally against anyone being treated outside the Constitution, being treated disrespectfully, um, because I want, just like I want all of my officers to understand, how would you want to be treated if you were to stop, be stopped by an officer? You were or were not an officer. How would you want your family members to be treated? So we are totally, as a department and as officers, totally advocate for respect and being treated. And if you see unjust. Uh, injustice going because of someone's race. You absolutely have to stand up and, and say something. And, and even even the difficult the difficulty of officers who have to stand in line to uh, protect whether it be a business or um, a writers. You have to stand in line. Even they, because of their race or color, get attacked by the protesters who are trying to have them question what they're standing ethically for because they're officers. That's a hard stance to try to, even though they, you know, they are outraged by any injustice as well. They, everyone's outraged about George Floyd, but they're also outraged about Ahmaud Aubrey, they, uh, Tamir Rice. You know, anyone is outraged by an injustice that happens. Uh, but they should also be outraged about everything throughout the system that's going on. So officers definitely empathize on all aspects, especially because they know. You know, when we take off this uniform, we're always uh, going to be our our race, our gender. We can't take that off, so we're always going to be that. So they definitely empathize and need to empathize, even if it's not the race that they have. They need to have that understanding that that is someone, how someone feels, and they have a right to feel that way. Uh, is Have you had to um, discipline any officers for excessive force or, or, or dismiss them? And I and and I I asked this with the understanding from talking with Chief Humphrey and Chief Green and all these people that because of the union it's entirely almost impossible to fire an officer um, that you know with you know misconduct and things of that nature. 
So I'm going to share a little more education with you. There are okay. certain states that are that are right to work states and don't have union influence like that. North Carolina is one of those states. So is Georgia. They don't have um, the unionized impact like north northeastern states or even California where they're protected by unions. So I don't have that problem. You know, we do follow due process uh, of just like constitutionally the right the the. We, even though it's a right-to-work state, we still follow process of giving everyone the uh, the ability to defend themselves in an administrative investigation. But have I had to um, terminate individuals for um, either unethical or um, um, force that was um, – personally, I can't recall the force being used, actions, of course. Um, yes, there have been people who have been terminated um, that I'm familiar with. We don't disclose specifics. Um, um, because North Carolina is a, is a protected um, state for personnel information, but we do investigations all the time, and we we not only hold the office accountable, but we have a lot of our investigations are initiated by internal internal supervisors, you know, without a complaint from the outside coming in. And a lot of people don't understand that or believe we hold ourselves accountable. So when we're reviewing body worn cameras or we see actions take place. We are. We understand. We're responsible vicariously for that individual and what they. If you allow that to continue, it's just going to expand and get worse. So in North Carolina, we don't have problems with terminating individual because of a union. Well, I I I would assume then um, because it's not in your not in your agency. So I'm not saying yours, but I would assume then. There's some agencies in the state of North Carolina that are not firing people because there are some cops doing some things uh, it's, it, that's in the news. So uh, that's, that's interesting. That, that thank you for sharing that uh, with me. Um, the, the final question I want to sort of uh, touch on, and that's the issue when you, you look at the protesting and everything and the the push that's out there, and you're right. It, it, and I started this by saying it's not just po- it's police uh, brutality, but it's also, uh, you know, social justice inequality. Um, you know, uh, having equality and and housing and no more redlining and and all the things that go on criminal justice. We can go on on and on. Um, but this this push now seems to be. Uh, with defunding the police, and depending upon who uses the term, on from a political standpoint, it's a good or a bad thing. Um, I think the peaceful protesters, from my understanding, and having people on, want the funds to be sort of worked into some kind of curriculum, some kind of programming or reprogramming of law enforcement. But the the scary tactic side wants to say that we're going to take all the cops out of your neighborhoods um, and, and you won't have any way to defend yourselves, especially black and brown. And obviously we're law we're, we're law abiding people. So we want the police in our neighborhoods. Um, so how do you feel about that? Where do you stand on that? Especially in the and, and we've seen um, resignations in Seattle from the police chief, Portland, Rochester, all we can go a few other places. How do you feel about that term? And what would you say defunding would mean to you, especially let's say if it came to your agency? So um, in that terminology, as you said, it just depends on who's saying it and what their intent. They have there have been people who fund and totally. In their in their mind, they believe just to get rid of the police department and they can self operate somehow in the community. 
But then there have been people who have shared the intent of that uh, that buzzword. To me, there are social services, funding that needs to go to social services for things like mental health, for things like uh, crisis intervention. So one, what I would say to that is I, I would totally agree there needs to be social services funding. But I object to the thought that people believe any funding got diverted to law enforcement. There is no law enforcement funding that got supplemented as a result of anyone eliminating social services from our communities. What occurred is law enforcement realized that we were encountering and engaging incidents where people were in crisis, incidents where people were having mental health, and we had to start training our officers how to handle those situations so that we won't have a situation where someone's trying to do suicide by a cop. So we became um, aware and started training ourselves on how to identify situations of uh, uh, suicidal thoughts or identify people who, who really are in a crisis or how about a situation where someone's going through a diabetic shock and, and then the actions may look like it's something else. So in that aspect, unless you can show me how funding went to an agency, a particular agency, I, I know the agencies that I've been involved in never took on any funding as a result of social services. Now you also talk about, you've mentioned, um, you've mentioned uh, resigning um, for law, law enforcement chiefs. And it, mm -hmm. it's kind of difficult to have a, you can't just broad swipe it and say that's what's happening across the nation. Because it, it, I, I pay attention a lot. And there's a difference of retirement and there's a difference of resignation. We talk about Seattle. We watch Seattle's chiefs work hard, work in the community, right. come up in that organization for 28 years, try to explain how the, the objective is to protect the community, try to share that with the uh with the leadership, uh, the uh, the political leadership of it, and then when she's sharing her expertise and best practices, and then they don't want to do that, I can see her ability to retire, not resign. Say maybe you need some other leadership, as opposed to another situation or another part where you just resign. I, and I and I do have some concerns with that. Honestly, I'm just being transparent. It's nothing against that chief, but but I but I know. I think I read there was questions about their integrity, and there's right. questions that that's the reason. And, and to me, we're, I'm going to get questioned about my decisions all the time. It's not going to be it's not going to be smelling roses. But I have a responsibility. This organization is way bigger than me. I'm, I have a responsibility to the office, and I have a responsibility to the community to do my best all the time. And um, and I, I I can't quit. I, there's no quitting when you're going through hard times. There's no quitting when you're mm. doing your best. You, you, my actions, I'm going to be able to either show and prove my actions that I'm trying my best to, to make sure I do preventive things, to, to provide officers with the tools they need to make good decisions, to be able to communicate, to be able to service our community with respect. And that's my responsibility, but I also take this on knowing that I'm committed to it. People are going to throw mud. That's okay. It, it, until I gain the majority of the community's trust, I just have to expect I'm going to get judged based off of what happens across the nation. It's okay. I got to keep working on my agency. So to quit, that, that kind of hurts the, uh, that kind of hurts me, even though it doesn't affect me. Cause now I have to double down on, no, that has nothing to do with whether or not something is right or wrong. Let the process continue, but you have either however many officers still left that still want to do the job 
So you're, de- you're committed to that, the rest of the officers, even if one or two um, make some seriously bad decisions. So. I got two email questions. I promise you, I'll let you go after this. Two came in. The first one was, should um, should you understand or could you understand, I think they meant, um, that some people lack the empathy for law enforcement based on the climate that we're in, uh, especially uh, uh, yeah. black and brown people. And then the second question was, um, should the cases – or the, the situations, I mentioned Seattle, some other places, uh, that re- resigning or retiring be on a case-by-case basis. I guess, in other words, if, if uh, you know, in Minneapolis or, or in, in, in Minnesota, where the, the, the George Floyd happened or, or anywhere else, Michael, Gar- Michael, Michael Garner and, and anyone, Trey Mar- Trayvon Martin and these cities should it be a case to case, case by case basis? Uh, in other words, but it shouldn't be a broad brush to all of your agencies across the country. Yes, uh, um, there, there. Okay, so I missed that. For, I forgot the first question, but let me try to get to this one. Um, okay. One, I believe there should definitely be standardized uh, expectation of policies and procedures that are best practices nationally right now that does not exist and that's a problem that's a problem because everyone doesn't have the same standards as i may have and i'm always looking for the even better standards but unfortunately that's not that's not across the board you can't guarantee that i drive in another city or state that i'm gonna have those state standards so so you think about there was a there's a i think a louisiana sheriff that is out there um throwing around the n-word left and right that's not yeah. the standard that you know you have you have situations that nasty there needs to be basic standards that are best practice that there is no question of how you expect people to be treated and it should be universal but because it doesn't you have to pay attention in individual communities what exists so it's very important that each community take a stand and say what do I expect and how do I want to be treated when I'm here and then as those um, communities build and grow the anomaly will be the ones who are doing things that are unconstitutional, that's unethical, that they will stand out like a sore thumb because we in law enforcement want them to be eradicated as well. Now, your first question that you asked me was uh, about... The questioner, he was asking, I guess I'm assuming, that he said, could you understand, I guess law enforcement understand oh. um, the lack of uh, empathy that, uh, you know, people in the community, especially black and brown communities, would not have yeah. for them. You have to, one, be able to understand people and listen and, and and validate and have emotional intelligence to understand they may have a reason, even if it didn't, they weren't the ones encountering a bad uh, engagement or a bad encounter with an officer. It may be their family member. It may be someone else's story. That's real. That doesn't get erased. So being able to empathize that person's reality but you have the responsibility to change that reality and make it a new, make it a, a new relationship. You not, you know, we we have the onus on us to proactively try to share. That's not me, and give me the opportunity for you to get to know me, so we can build our new relationship and our new expectation. Because we can't hate forever, right? We got we right. we want something to change. So every single one of us has to take a step. Um. 
to make this new, the new environment, the new expectation for law enforcement, everyone's responsible for that. And I'm saying in law enforcement, I know as a mindset, the majority of us are like, okay, we're okay taking the first step, but we got, we have to have people meet meet us at some point and, and share with us that what that experience is, share with us their feelings, and now let's work to saying what do we want our future to be for our for our for our legacies. What do we we don't want it just to be we mad at each other uh, for here right now and and stop. So share with us what we want it to look like. I'm not going to be in law enforcement forever, right? I'm going to be part of the regular the rest of society, and and for that matter, when I'm outside my city, I'm part of the rest of society. But I want to help create what the what the future looks like, so that when I take off my uniform in the future, and I eventually one day have great grandkids, I'm able to share with them that expectation, and they're teaching others for our future. So we got to start moving. Yeah. See something, say something, and and we that saying about even with politics, you if you don't yeah. vote, you really don't have any say. If you want change, you have to speak up. That's uh, right. I know that's that's, right. that's that's a big part of it. She has been in law enforcement for over three decades, and and Georgia big agencies there and here. Uh, looks like she probably started when she was twelve years old, but anyway, <laughs> I'm assuming thirty two years old, uh, thirty two years in in law enforcement. But listen, uh, Chief Hawkins, we appreciate you. God bless. Uh, be safe. And as I, I tell Chief Humphrey and Chief Green, make it home safe to your family. Keep your head up Thank and you. keep your head ducked at the same time. And we'll talk with you very soon. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Good night. Absolutely. Chief Hawkins, of course, she is the chief of police uh, in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I'm going to take a break and come back uh, with some more on the Bachelor News Radio Show, the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM, in Chapel Hill. in the You and the Law with Chief Virgil Green and Chief Keith Humphrey. The show focuses on law enforcement and their relationship with the black community while letting you know your legal rights as a citizen when confronted by the police. Listen live every Tuesday night from 7 p.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern at blogtalkradio.com and the podcast every Monday through Sunday at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Greetings and great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
melodic tune. I get hypnotic with the moon, but you got to put me down soon. I flip a shot show if you come my way. Up, down, and around, even sideways. I'm about as ready as the light can get. We can go all out. I ain't afraid of the sweat, but yet. I bet you got the techniques to freak a girl inside out. What's that all about? Can I have some of that? You gotta put me on. Word around town is your nine men strong. I wanna be put on in the worst way. Since the first day, I think it was the Thursday. You be that brother that I wanna sink my teeth in. Make me wanna ask, where the hell you been? I like the way you be with all that personality. But I got flavor too. You need to get with me.
brother.
body cream with my sex machine. I won't stop until I hear your mother scream. Oh, 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 I wanna do, yeah. Pad on the Bachelor News Radio Network, home of also you and the law. We just had a police chief on, uh, Chief uh, Hawkins in Fayetteville. And uh, speaking of law enforcement, you can catch you and the law with uh, the great co host, uh, Chief Virgil Green and Chief Swag Humphrey, uh, as they get it done every Tuesday evening, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. Big ups to, to Virgil, uh, Chief Green on the line now, one of the co-hosts. But check it out. They touch on everything in law enforcement, some things that people aren't comfortable with. They'll get it in. And these are two brothers doing the show. I appreciate them. Make sure you're listening Tuesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time on blogtalkradio.com. You can put in the forward slash LA hyphen bachelor um, or listen at 646-929-0130, which is the number you should call in to get on the line to follow them on Facebook, their Facebook page. And if you miss any part of the broadcast, uh, you can go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelor with a T, .airtime.pro, every day of the week at 4 a.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Bachelor News Radio Network.
Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, um, coming up at the bottom of the hour, wherever you are, uh, we'll talk with Ty Miller uh, from the Power News Radio Network. Uh, he's going to talk about the HBCUs. Haven't had him on in quite some time. We're going to talk about uh, the status uh, of the HBCUs, the pressures, if there is any, uh, to play. What sports, and in, in particular football and basketball, would look like next year? How do they maneuver around that? Um, their endowments, who's going to be hurt? We'll get into all of that and more with Ty Miller. Uh, he is uh, formerly a BET sports but of course now the power news radio network he myself and tony t mac mcclain will get into all the discussion uh at the bottom of the hour wherever you are this bachelor news radio show the bachelor news radio network and wcom in chapel hill big shout out to my big brother uh listening and watching on facebook live
Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Net- Radio Network and WCOM in uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show, L.A. Bachelor here. I uh, want to bring in my good friend, longtime friend and colleague, Tony T. Mac McLean. T., I hope all is well with you this evening, sir. Ah, shut up. How are you? <laughs> See, I give him all the accolades And he says, oh, shut up uh, That's that's T, that's who he is um, Listen I want to We talked uh, in a text over um, uh, uh, Talking about the Mets and Yankees And that kind of thing But also um, the passing of the great Lou Brock And, you know, with all due respect To Tom Seaver And some non-African Americans We've lost quite a bit of African Americans, uh, af- athletes, and and entertainers, and and politicians over 2020, like you said, I, I repeat, the 2020 has been a rough year. But with that being said, talk about Lou Brock, and and he was great with the Cubs. He was even greater, or say good with the Cubs and great with the Cardinals. When the Cubs made the the, the stupid move for trading him for a bag of pork rinds, essentially with the pitcher that didn't go through, <laughs> do well. Right, bag of pork rinds, 
But talk about him. Ricky Henderson had to put a lot of years in to break his uh, stolen base record. The guy hit for, for average. He was an exceptional ball player defensively. He got it done. Talk about Lou Brock, uh, Brock as a ball player. Well, that was, you know, that was during the era when the Cardinals were October perennials. And here's the thing. Now, the guy he was traded for, a guy by the name of Ernie Brolio, now the year that season he won 18 games. He was, right. um, you know, he you know, and and you know the Cubs, you know, I guess you know the 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 Cubs thought that they were, you know, getting this, you know, anchor of the uh, of of their pitching staff, and unfortunately he just wound up being an anchor, a, a visible anchor. <laughs> he, he never, he never. I don't think he ever won as many games afterwards. Uh, Lou Brock, you know, now Lou Brock. Uh, an HBCU product out of Southern University was signed by the Cubs by another HBCU uh, product uh, guy by the name of uh, Buck O'Neill, and Buck said, "Don't trade this guy. Don't trade this guy." But of course, the Cubs, being the Cubs, they got rid of him. And uh, Luke Brock was not met well by his teammates when he first got there, because you know there was there wasn't much known about him, but. Uh, uh, three world, you know, I guess you know, three World Series appearances and a whole bunch of stolen bases later, um, and a Hall of Fame career and all the other stuff. And needless to say, I think they embraced him a little bit. But he was, they, you know, he and the Cardinals were perennials from like the '60s, you know, late early '60s, late '60s as well. And this was before you had all the division titles and the extra round of playoffs. They had to win the National League. And they won uh, three pennants and a um, couple of World Series while he was, while he was there, uh, especially with, you know, the 67 uh, and 68, where he batted like almost 400 against Boston and, and, same, and had the same um, impact. In, uh, in the Detroit series, unfortunately, they blew a three-one lead. But he, yes, he was Ricky Henderson before Ricky Henderson, literally and figuratively. Uh, small fact: uh, Lou Brock's one of the only people that's ever hit a ball uh, to the deep, a uh, home run out of the old um, Polo Grounds. And Polo Grounds center field was about almost 500 feet almost 500, wow. uh, 500 some feet. So he's one of the few guys that ever hit a home run to deep center there. Uh, no, he didn't have quite the same power, but, you know, he was just a consistent um, base stealer and, and a great hitter too. You know, he, this, mm-hmm. is, this is the guy that uh, even near the end of his career, he was still an all-star. This, he was an all-star for the last season that he played. You know, the year that he uh, got his 3,000th uh, hit. Only he was only, I'm sorry, he was only a year removed from being a, 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 um, um, an all-star. And the thing with him was, now Ricky Henderson was probably faster. Um, Tim Raines probably had more of an athletic body. But Lou Brock got over because of his arrogance. He was going to, you know, Everybody and their mama knew he was going to steal a base once he got on, and he still stole bases. And not, you know, he was an igniter. He was, um, he was probably before Ricky Henderson, 
the greatest leadoff hitter in the history of baseball. And you could still make that argument to a certain extent. I mean, the game the game changed a little bit when Ricky was there. There wasn't an emphasis as much on the stolen base. Um, but Lou could hit. Lou, you know, Lou was a 300 hitter, like I said, 3,000 hits, uh, was, an, uh, was an all-star as well. Uh, I believe he won, I think, a couple gold gloves as well. But, yeah, he, even with all those big bats in that St. Louis lineup, he was the guy. He, you know, that's where the game got started. When he got on first base, he was literally a double. He was only going to be a second, maybe even third, by the time um, that inning was over. But yeah, um, you know, uh, you know, twenty twenty. You know, if anybody's got a ride to twenty twenty one, please let me know because I because I'm ready to go because I don't know if I can do another three months of this. Yeah, you're right. And you know, when you look at um, his upbringing. Uh, I mean, born in Arkansas, his family, you know, uh, sharecroppers. So he experienced the ultimate, I'm sure, racism down there. They moved to Louisiana a little later, but uh, you get my point. So do you know you're you're a baseball guy and and know uh, a lot of the history, especially the black ball players at Negro Leagues? Did he go through um, what Hank Aaron went through in breaking – um, Ty Cobb's record because it, 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 there, there's parallels here. Ty Cobb was a racist; he had the record. Babe mm-hmm. Ruth was a racist; he had the record. Um, and and everybody looked at him and these gods, these figures. And here comes these black guys and Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's record, and then uh, Lou Brock breaking Ty Cobb's stolen base record. Did he adore a lot of those type of hatreds? I mean, you're gonna get the regular you're a nigger type thing, but did he? Did was it exasperated as he got closer and when he broke Ty Cobb? To your knowledge, not that I know of, but I'm sure, like you said, he went through it. Now, ironically, he probably dealt with more uh, prejudice early in his career with the Cardinals. Um, right. Uh, he he and uh, the manager there at the time, uh, I think it was either Solly Hemus or Johnny Keane, they uh, they weren't on the same page. Matter of fact, believe it or not, uh, him and Bob, you know, him and Bob Gibson uh, almost got traded a second time. You know, he almost got traded a second time. That's how, that's how, at the time, the, uh, the the Cardinals thought of him, and see, the the funny thing is is that you had a quota system back in the day with black ball players. Because see, at one point, at one point, the Cardinals had, I'm sorry, at, at one point, the Cincinnati Reds had Beta Pinson, Kurt Flood, and. Uh, Frank Robinson, all on the same roster. And eventually, uh, Kurt Flood got traded to uh, the Cardinals. And that sort of happened with St. Louis, too. They had their quota of uh, black ball players. And at one point, they were going to uh, – uh, they had one point, they had uh, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, and Bobby Tolan. And Bobby Tolan – uh, eventually wound up getting traded to uh, the Cincinnati Reds, ironically. But, uh, yeah, he dealt with a lot more of it in-house than he did later on in his career. Uh, the sad thing is his, you know, him going for the record wasn't on the same level as when Hank 
was going for the um, was going for the uh, home run record. Uh, he did it. I'm not going to say he did it in obscurity, but he didn't. You know, there wasn't as much fanfare. Uh, Hoopla, right? Yeah, right. there wasn't. Any, I mean, it was still. It's still. It you know, it, it was still significant because you know he was close to me. He was in his 40s uh, when he when he um, broke the record, and then eventually uh, Ricky would break it uh, like about 10, 15 years uh, later. But, yeah, because yeah. he, he broke it in 80. I think, when did he break it? Um, no, he was inducted in 85. Right. I want to say, I want to well, I want to say it was 87. I want to say it was 87. Somewhere around well, he was, inducted, he was inducted in 85. So it yeah. had to be a little earlier than that. But, you know, yeah. interesting, no surprise. I mean, uh, some of his, the, the, some of the players he looked up to was Jackie Robinson, Don Newcomb, Roy Campanella. I mean, no surprise there. Um, and, and and I, the the connection on the broadcasting side, I always seem to forget um, that he listened to a lot of the Cardinals games. Yeah. To, to Harry Carey, who of course went over, you know, did did the Cubs games. But mm-hmm. you know, look at the the fact that, uh, and this is this is why it's so disappointing and sad where the HBCUs are in baseball at this point. Because he went to Southern, like you said. You mm-hmm. can't get no more HBCU than Southern University right there in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And 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 yet he was found. He he was found. He made he went to the minor leagues and all that stuff, but they found him. So is baseball not going on these HBCU campuses at all? Or is it not an emphasis um with the black ball players? At this point, maybe they play. We saw Russell uh, Wilson play baseball and football. Mm-hmm. I mean, is it is it that part of it as well? It's both. It's both because you know the sad thing is, and we've talked about this a lot, where you know how a lot of these schools don't even really um, try to de-emphasize sports. So a sport like baseball uh, gets gets pushed. I mean, they'll tolerate football and they'll tolerate basketball, but pretty much some of the other sports, uh, unless it's maybe like track or something like that, they're really, you know, and and the thing about it is you've had, like, legendary players that have come right. out of HBCUs. I mentioned Buck O'Neill. Buck O'Neill was a product of uh, Edmund, of, of, uh, Edward Waters College out of Jacksonville. You had Joe right. Black. Joe Black uh, went to uh, Morgan State. Larry Doby. Uh, did a year for uh, Virginia State. Um, Don Clendenin, the the Mets MVP from back in the day, uh, he and his dad attended Morehouse. Matter of fact, um, two of the, another two another couple stalwarts for that '69 Mets team, uh, Cleon Jones went to Alabama A and M, mm. and uh, Tommy Azey went to uh, Grambling, and. And and again, those are those those you know those are just guys on the surface. And there's you know, unfortunately, baseball. You know what what's happened with baseball with the HBCUs is sort of a sort of a microcosm of what you see with the numbers of blacks in baseball as a whole. And what's 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 sad to me is that. There's no feeder system, you know. There right. isn't that, that you know. While a lot of these uh, academies and these 
future games and what have you, there are black kids that are out there and there are black kids that are on the rise, but it's not a huge, it's not a huge number. And see, I always use different gauges because when, when uh, Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, retired, he was basically the last son of a former major leaguer that, um, oh, son of a former black major leaguer, should I say, that, um, that was prominent. And when you look, when you look at it, when you look at the guys who have retired or, or who were playing career has ended over the past few years, is CC Sabathia's son going to play major league ball? Will a and, and I want, will, go ahead. No, go ahead. I want to, I want you to hold that thought because um, you, you bring up a point I want to get to because is it, 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 it's not just the fact that that's disappointing that you see a Ken Griffey uh, Jr. follow his father. You got a Pat Mahomes who played in baseball. His son went to football. So his son didn't go to baseball. His son could have was pretty good in baseball. You got a Russell Wilson um, that could have went to baseball, and the Seahawks are saying, thank you, he didn't. So you have those elements there. I want to talk about that with UT um, and come back and talk about that and the disappointing uh, landscape of baseball when it comes to black ball players. You and I coach together. We'll talk about that. When I come home, it's just different, man. It's just it's different from when we was coaches and coaching these um, black and brown kids and poor whites. We had those two on our team. It's just different. It's disappointing. And what we need to do should we take it upon ourselves to educate these kids to to, to but look. When I was growing up, I'm gonna go to this break. When I was growing up. Baseball was my love. Baseball, I used to practice from the wiffle ball to the bat to hitting the tennis ball off the wall in the house with a glove if I had a glove and wanted to play stickball or whatever. And then you evolve because you don't see people that look like you. You don't have players. My my brothers started off playing football and basketball. So you don't have those 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 mentors of the game, if you will. And that's interesting. I want to get into that with T Mac on the Bassett News Radio Show.
Welcome back to the show. A little Najee in your life. Oh, the Anita Baker song there. Instrumental version of Sweet Love. It's the Bassett News Radio show on the Bassett News Radio Network, 646-929-0130, the number to get in touch with us. Press 1 to get on the line. Uh, you have uh, about 10 minutes before you lose a live feed. If you're listening online at Blog Talk. Uh, dial in or go to Facebook Live either at LA Bachelor or Pad Nation to watch and hear the show live. Tony, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I wanted to bring that point. Are you going right where I wanted? I mean, you mentioned Ken Griffey Jr. Uh, are we going to see that? I, I mentioned Pat Mahomes, you know, was an exceptional uh, ball player, baseball player, from my understanding, yet he chose football. The same thing with Russell Wilson. And listen, I, I'm not saying I was going to be a future Hall of Famer, but I loved the game. I was pretty, I was exceptional at baseball. I was average at basketball, and I could play football. But baseball, right field, first base, and I could I can hit dead red. And people don't know dead red is I can hit a fastball. So I, if I had stayed with it and had the encouragement, probably I I wanted wanted to go AAU and everything. Could have played catcher. Now. But fast forward to my son who wants to play AAU basketball. He'll pick up a baseball and a glove and toss it around, but he wants to play basketball and football. So when I go home, come home to our hometown in New Haven, and I go by our old field, we used to coach Little League, it's gone, and and it's just dead. The life of baseball is not there. And, and I wonder if we could just set aside what baseball is not going to do what the RBI program, um, and, and and God bless uh, Miss Robertson, and they put her face on it and everything, uh, that's not really working. Should we just encourage baseball, I mean, uh, these young kids, not to push them that way, but just mm-hmm. tell about the beautiful game of baseball. Maybe that encourages, maybe that increases the numbers of black ball players. It, it's gonna have to be done on a on a grassroots level. Um, I think, you know, Major League Baseball will. You know, I use. You know, it's, it's ironic. This is the hundredth anniversary of the Negro League, and right. the one thing I always always try to emphasize to folks is when that you know when they signed Jackie Robinson, Kansas City, uh, um, the Kansas City Monarchs were never um, financially compensated. Right. They just took him off the roster and said, thank you, you know, thank you very much. It was different with uh, Larry Doby. Matter of fact, Larry Doby almost didn't make uh, the major leagues because, you know, when teams came to scout him, uh, the then owner, a woman by the name of Effa Manley, who's uh, in the Hall of Fame, said, look, if you're going to take one of our players, you've got to compensate us uh, monetarily. And it shied some teams away. Ironically, uh the team who he wound up signing with, the the Cleveland Indians, had an owner by the name of Bill Veck, who had no problem uh, paying him. And she, has, I think, uh, matter of fact, he said, "How much you want for him?" And 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 you know they wind up selling or whatever. I say all that to basically say, back in the day, Major League Baseball used the Negro Leagues and others as cheap labor, much like how you see with the Spanish uh, ball players. Land ball players, yeah. Now what they now I, I appreciate what they did the last couple of days in regards to um, honoring Roberto Clemente. I think he deserves as big a day and whatever as as Jackie Robinson does as well. You know because sure. he was just he was a humanitarian and he influenced the generation of ball players much like uh, Jackie did. 
but that being all that being said, we can't sit around and sort of wait for Major League Baseball. All they're they're going to do the bare minimum. You know, they'll throw money at it and whatever. And look, I give them a little bit of credit because over the years, some of those RBI academies have grown. But the thing is, they go to they always go to cities where there's already Major League Baseball. I would love to see them, or, or states that have Major League Baseball, I would love to see them go somewhere where there isn't Major League Baseball, just to push the game. Now, they'll do it overseas. They'll do it, you know, they'll do it in the Latin American countries. They actually had, there actually is an academy in uh, Africa. I uh, forget which part. But they're willing to push the, but see, that's sort of the, the ass-backwards way they do things. They're willing to push the game outside of the U.S., but they, to me, for certain areas of the country, they, they still fail to uh, push the game here in the States. And, 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 they're, and, and let's be honest, they are getting their, you know, when it comes to popularity in the black community, baseball gets its ass kicked by baseball, football, and to a certain extent, uh, hockey. You know, they're um, – Popeye Jones, the former NBA player, his son Seth Jones is one of the uh, is one of the top players for the um, the Columbus Blue Jackets. Uh, Kia, uh, Kia Nurse, you know the uh, the um, UConn star. Her sister uh, is one of the top Canadian players. She played for for Team Canada. Matter of fact, her her uh, brother. Uh, nurse, uh, I, forgot, I forgot my man's first name. Darnell uh, Nurse uh, is one of the top players for the Edmonton Oilers. So, based, look, it's been a gradual thing over the years, and I will always say, even before the '94 strike, baseball was was losing its popularity overall. And it's and in some area, in a lot of areas of the black community, it's it's basically DOA. Yeah, and but let let me ask you this because we've talked a lot about symbolism on this program. Um, you know, symbolism is good in some some ways, like with you know uh, Jackie Robinson, um, you know Hall of Fame. So he he he. I mean, Lou Brock. He'll stay on Lou Brock. His Hall of Fame in '85. Um, number retired, I believe, in the Cardinals Hall of Fame, not to oh, 2014, absolutely. which is which absolutely. which is 2014, which is I don't know why it took so long, but anyway, but but the symbolism of that shows something. It, that means that people could come in and they see their family knows that he made an impact on that franchise. But wearing number 42 for a couple of days, on top of the fact that if these kids don't know what 42 means in baseball because they're not following it. To me, it's not enough. If you're going to honor the man, what steps are you going to take for in regards to the man on behalf of the man? Now, my son will say, well, what's the 42 about, you know, uh, dad? And I'll tell him to look it up like you do. Look it up. 
I'm not going to give an answer. Look it up. That's going to educate you. You're reading. It's a win-win around it, but you're not going to get everybody doing that. So, um, so, 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 you know, we know who Jackie Robinson, but some people think it's the schools in New Haven, the Jackie Robinson school or Jackie Robinson somewhere. And it's just a name. So my, again, my point is if you're going to, like I said, it's not just about the 42. What are you doing on behalf of this man that endured so much hate yet became great and won titles and was a, uh, uh, a door and Avenue for black ball players to play in that league. There and see, again, this is why I was saying it's going to have to be incumbent upon us because major league, all, look, they're going to do the corporate thing. They'll, you right. know, they'll have everybody in their mama wear 42 on the 15th. Uh, they'll throw a bunch of money to the Jackie Robinson foundation, which is fine. Uh you know they'll put money into the RBI or whatever, but for for the for for there for there to be real change, there there has to be more. Um, you know, you, the, the 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 museum of the the Negro League Museum. Our our buddy Bob Kendrick, he has right. all sorts of things that he that that goes on. Uh, um, Josh Gibson. Why, why can't I think of my man's first name? I'm I'm. I'm Getting bad on the names tonight. Uh, Josh Gibson's great grandson, who has who's found who has his foundation right now. Sure. You're right, Sean. Sean. Oh, yep. Sean. Thank you, Sean yep. Gibson. Always doing something in Pittsburgh. There's guys like C.J. Mitchell, uh, uh, C.J. Crawford down in uh, Atlanta. That maybe a lot of people outside of Atlanta may not know, but he's been doing things for years. Uh, there's our buddies down in Chicago, other than um, uh, Curtis Granderson that have been doing things for years in regards to that. And see, there's other little things, and I think kids see stuff like this. Now, remember a few years back when you had the Chicago team out of the Jackie Robinson League, or if, uh, if you remember, make a run at the, uh, at the uh, World Series, at the right. World League Series. It was refreshing. It was great to see. But, of course, when they won it and whatever – some, 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 um, you know, somebody had their, you know, panties out of waist, basically saying, oh, those kids weren't all from that same neighborhood. That, you know, that team is illegal and all the other stuff. And they wound up scandalizing that team and they wound up taking the title from them. And yeah. I think the kids, I think, I always say the kids now are a lot more sophisticated than we give them credit for in the sense of, they see stuff like that and say, you know what? If I got to deal with that kind of mess playing playing ball, playing baseball, I just as soon deal with baseball, with football or basketball. Now I'm going to deal with the same sort of mess, but at least it it it'll seem like I'm more appreciated and I won't have to go through as much mess. I think they look and see the kind of treatment that maybe now maybe they're not old enough to remember what Hank Aaron went through, but I'm sure. They're familiar with what Barry Bonds uh, went through when he was breaking um, Hank Aaron's record. Now, no, maybe the racial part, you know, and again, it depends on how you look at it. Maybe he wasn't going through the kind of racial scrutiny, but let's be honest, because he was hated by the media, you can't, you cannot deny the fact that there was a racial implement, there was a, there was a racial component involved in that and I think the, and I think the kids see that and I think they say you know what 
the heck with baseball. I'd rather play. I'd, I'd rather play football than basketball. Let me let me bring something up to you. We're we're on uh, the Bachelor News Radio Show Plus. Uh, L.A. Bachelor alongside uh, Tony T. Mac McQueen, uh, editor of BASN uh, Newsroom. Two things, T. I want you to comment on. Number one, if if they're not a lot of peak kids, if players that look like us, ESPN or some highlight comes on somewhere about baseball. Our kids aren't paying attention. They're going to flip the channel, whatever, go back to what they're going to do because there's nobody that they're following, number one. Uh, but, you know, white kids, are, you know, they're still growing up being baseball players. Uh, the second point is um, the one thing I know and I know this from, from two pre-teenagers is that these kids in NFL and on Madden and on NBA know more old school players than I just give them credit for. So why not it if it, it, baseball again I know it's a it's a comment at us, if they had some component like that to attract the kids like that, they're gonna learn the game, love the game, and they maybe even play the game. I, well see again it's and see hear me out. We can't put it all on baseball on, on MLB's lap either. To a certain okay. I, I, I understand what you're saying, but the, the, the set, let's be honest. Major League Baseball has done a horrible job of, of, of promoting the game as a whole, especially right. in the black community. But that being said, what's, what's, what, what's the, 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 thing, the, the, the thing that I get from them is that, for lack of a better word, it's just laziness more than anything else. Now, see, look. Laziness I, on whose part? Laziness on whose sport, part? The sport, the sport in general. Oh, okay. Think about, think about this. We've been watching, you know, look, we all grew up watching NFL films. That's how, for a lot of us, that's how we fell in love and learned football. Right. To his credit, bad, good, or indifferent, when David Stern came in there, he pushed the hell out of that lead. Now, he also got extremely lucky for, not, I shouldn't say lucky, but let's face it, he hit, you know, early on, you had Magic and Bird. Then you had Jordan. And then you had the other side, you know, Isaiah and whatever. And, I mean, to a certain extent, it's still there because you got LeBron and, and what have you. So the NBA has pushed their game and see, they push it internationally. But the thing is, they don't stop by pushing it internationally. They push it here. Think about, you know, I'll give you an example. Think about tonight. Tonight, all four major sports are going on tonight for the first time this year. you got the beginning of the NFL season. You've got, you know, you've got the NBA and NHL playoffs. You've got uh, spring, you've got a couple of college you got a college football game, and you've got Major League Baseball. What are you going to watch tonight? What are you going to and, watch? The, and, the, and the excuse is not the excuse is not well. I'm not going to watch the NHL or NBA because the playoffs. That's not the excuse, but I because I know where you're going. You know, with, with that being said, who's yeah, pushing see, what? Yeah, exactly, exactly. And see, look. I, you know, the NFL is probably going to have all sorts of crazy ratings tonight, Sunday, 
and maybe even Monday because of the novelty. But, see, I want to see what happens after the next few weeks or what have you. You Because, know, see, we saw when the NBA came back, huge ratings opening night. Now they've sort of bottomed down. Now they sort of, of, of bottled, bottomed off. Hockey, great ratings those first couple nights. Now they've bottomed off. And, and, and remember, I didn't, even, I didn't even mention the WNBA. WNBA is right. playing tonight as well. So if you're a sports fan tonight, where are you going? Now, I got in about a little after 6. I turned on, but this is just me, I turned on the uh, Angels-Rangers game. That was the one afternoon game that was going on today, so I turned that on. Uh, then I watched the first few minutes of Lakers-Rockets. Uh, now, right now, I'm watching the early minutes of UAB versus uh, Miami. Now, we're also now also the WNBA game, the WNBA game on a little bit later. The hockey game starts in another few minutes. And oh, by the way, in 10, 15 minutes, they're going to kick it off in Kansas City after they uh, after they raise the champion after they raise the Super Bowl banner um, tonight. So it's it's you know. And again, there's Major League Baseball tonight. It's it's a you know not everybody's playing, but there's enough games so that if you wanted to get your baseball Jones on, you could watch it tonight. But that being said, you know we've been hearing about the NFL opener. It seems like forever. I mean, I can't every time I flip around, FanDuel and uh, who are the other idiots, um, DraftKings. They got well, one of you know. It, 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 you, you talk about the ultimate uh, slap in the face with symbolism. Lift every voice and saying that you know this whole week, week one, the NFL is doing the Black National Anthem, which is a slap in the people's faces. If, thought, if you thought, don't, if you were, don't, I, under- I, thought, I thought they were. I thought they were. I thought they. Had, I thought they had mixed that. So they, they, they were still. They're still doing it. They they're thought, still doing they- it. Uh, my understanding. We'll see in a, in a few. Um, mm. But even if they mixed it. The, the fact remains that, again, it goes back to symbolism. We as people of color have to understand what it is. It's, it's, symbolism, you know, they, and, see, they, symbolism, and see, symbolism doesn't work for us. I mean, right. is, it, is it nice to see, like, the first black somebody do Yeah, it's cool. But, see, at the end of the day, what, is it going to change policy? Is it going to whatever? Because, see, the NBA and all these other places, they can put black, you know, what the NBA is doing and WNBA, and, and, and to be quite fair, the WNBA was in it a lot earlier than the than the, than the NBA. But with a lot, to, league, with a lot more to lose too. With a lot more to lose, and, by and, the way. And, and, and remember, the league was not the you know it was it was it, it was because of these strong women in the WNBA that you have that that you had that you had that. I mean, all you got to do is look at what Maya Moore. Has done and is still doing. She took a right. year off of her career to basically help free an innocent man. Yeah, you know. And now, see, that's a story that should be told from 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 to, to, from to, from beginning to you know for forever. And you know, it'll get it'll get a little bit of runs, you know, with to, to a certain extent. But they'll move on to something else uh, right. as, as as is their want. But to get back to what you were saying, 
I, you know, we, we have, sadly, we have this conversation basically every baseball season. Usually, like, it usually comes up in April, right around Jackie Robinson Day, when we look at how many black players are on or not on uh, rosters, and we lament it. And the sad thing is, is that at the end of the day, the numbers are probably going to go back to Jackie Robinson days before they go up. And I wish and, and, I could, and I wish I could think of a way to change that, but but off the top of my head I can't. Because right. there's, nothing, then, there's, no, there's no feeder system. Right. And let me let me say this, we run out of time and I wanna to touch on NFL real quick. But a friend of mine has said, you know, with the lack of black ball players, it breeds um resentment when you hear um, them hyping up the white ball players, even with these exceptional great brown ball players in the league, and and he has a point. Like you don't, I don't want to hear about you know all the the great white players in the league because you, we already get that in the NBA or the NFL, and we got more black players, much more players sure. in those sports. So it, he's right to a certain extent. It breeds some form of feeling when you hear that all the time. It's the same sure. thing with Tom sure. Brady. Tom Brady, you know, he's, he can't do no wrong, right? And you don't want to root for guys like that because they they, they shoving, them, shoving them down your throat. So that's part of the issue. On on top of the fact that, like I said, in all heart and sincerity, baseball's a great game. And that's the sad part about it. That's the sad part about it, Tony. Oh, sure. I I, I agree a thousand percent. And see, even when baseball was at its quote-unquote height, they did an awful job of promoting the game. They really did. You know, and and even more so now, you know, I've said a bunch of times, this uh, people still don't realize the impact that the '94 strike had, especially in the black community. Right. Uh, there's a they lost a, they lost a generation of fans in '94, and a lot of them looked like us, and a lot of them have not come back. You know, they could say all they want about. Cal Ripken saving the game and uh, the, the 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 summer of love in '98 and all the other stuff, but no, but, you know, baseball is baseball hasn't been the national pastime in like forever. I mean, but and, even and, like, go ahead. even when my son my son played um, on a team one year, he had to get his grades right, so I took him off. But he was playing, and and you can see the coach showing a little faith. My son is very just athletically gifted. He could play any sport he wanted to, he put his mind to. But you can see the the sort of the favoritism uh, with him and a couple other uh, players. But it's just, again, just in reflection, T, um, he only bought black ball. He goes to, you know, uh, uh, charter school. He's the only black ball, ball player on the team. And he's probably the best player on the team. They got a great pitcher, but mm-hmm. you know, and that's that's the. It's not even about me. It's not about him. It's just a game. And so when you see that, that's that's just disappointing, you know. And because that's and, and when you realize, and when you realize that how big it, how big baseball was in 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 the in the community not that much longer. Look, 
I still enjoy, you know this now see this summer because of the corona was 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 something because usually um, I'll always go over to our you know you know the local league here the all the Walter Pop Smith now Walter Pop Smith has been around for over fifty years. You know, and there, and and there are other leagues uh, down south and in other parts of the country that have been around even longer, where majority of the kids are black, brown, or or or, or what have you. And the thing is, a lot of those kids they will play the game, but they don't. You know, they you know only a handful, if even that many, will retain it after their formative years because that's because eventually. Somebody throws them a football their way, or somebody throws them a basketball their way, or either somebody throws them some track shoes along the way, or somebody may throw a soccer ball their way, and baseball gets pushed to the side. Now a lot of that, now a lot of that is baseball's fault, but a lot of it is also I think the kids just they you know they'd rather they rather play those they'd rather play uh, those other sports and a lot of it has to do with the fact that 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 especially basketball and football they have pushed the sport i mean think of it we didn't you know we there was no nfl network or nba tv or nhl network or uh mlb network MLB, when right. we were growing up sure but but even then the nfl was always King because everybody, you know, whenever football season came around, everybody lost it. And see, think about uh, what used to happen back in the day. Now, if you played, if you went to say our our, our local high schools, well, Wilbur Cross and uh, James Hill House, if you played football, the coaches would always say, "Well, you ought to play track so you can keep yourself in shape uh, during the off season." They would always try to incur that you would play another sport, if nothing else, just to you know keep your you know to keep yourself quote unquote for lack of a better word in shape during the year. Um, that that you don't see that as much anymore. But and if you do, they're the the one of the sports that they don't play is baseball. Now it's ironic that you mentioned uh, Russell Wilson. One of the reasons why Russell Wilson wound up going to Wisconsin was because when he was at NC State, he played both baseball and football. Right, and, and they the didn't want coach, yeah. Well, the football, no, no. The football coach basically said, you're a senior. You got right. to decide to play one sport. Right. And he was like, excuse me? I want to play both. Well, you're either going to play one sport or you won't play here. It's been nice knowing you. And he wound up damn near leading Wisconsin to a national championship and, and uh, NC State, well, we know we know where they've been the last few years. And the old and Mr. Coach O'Brien got fired after that too, by the way. Exactly. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But see, that's but see, therein therein lies the thing. Now we were we're both we, you know, we both were able to see Bo Jackson do his thing, and Bo, you know, and and to a and to a lesser extent, Dion, and uh, you know, you know, do their thing with 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 the two sports. And what's crazy is, 
there were people that ridiculed them. How dare you play both sports? You know, when, when, Bo, when Bo said football was his hobby, people took that as like, how dare he? And, and you right. know the kind of scrutiny that uh, Dion caught. I mean, you right. know, I lost, you know, whatever, I, whatever respect I had for Tim McCarver, I lost a lot of it with the way that he dealt, or dealt with uh, Dion when Dion played the two games in one day. Right. Because he, he basically came out and said he's hurting the Braves by doing this, by turning this into a circus. And I'll just come right out and say it. If that's a white kid doing that, they would they would hold they would be like, Oh, what he's doing is a magical, it's incredible. Yeah, what what it's grit, effort. what determination, yeah. He is just it's, a it's he's a, a gamer. A, what a great yeah. Horatio Al just show you you know the kind of you know, the, right. the, the kind of whatever we would hear. Now I'm no Dion fan, but cool what he did. I right. thought it was very impressive what he did. And see, the Braves encouraged the Braves encouraged it. They wanted him to be listen, if you can do both, do both. Just, you know, not because see there was always going to be a thing of boy, I wonder what would happen if he just played just the one. I think, you know, I think a lot of people with Bo there were people that were like, boy, if he just played football, could you imagine the kind of stuff that he could do? But there's also others on that same side that would say, boy, if he played baseball, Every year, because Bo could see, Bo to me was a Bo uh, was a tease, a great tease though, because he let you see what he could do, and in, in both sports, and it would have been great to see if he had done one for for, for one season, how it would have played out. But the fact that he had the ability and the gumption to do both, instead of being, instead of instead of them looking at in reverence, they took, you know, a lot of, you know, folks took that as, how dare you? How dare you? Right. Now, maybe more so Dion, maybe more so Dion than uh, Bo, because, you know, they, they marketed, you know, you know they, they, they marketed the hell out of Bo, not so much with Dion. And people always got the, you know, and, and Dion probably has a lot to, um, Deanna has a lot to do with it as well. Where they they it, they just felt like he was just promoting himself, but I never got that. To me, I, I never I never got that with him. I always felt like because again, he's a great athlete. Both of them were great contemporary athletes. I know there's people that ain't too crazy about Deion's football style because you know he didn't tackle nobody and all that. But you know, but again. You know, haters gonna hate. You know, haters gonna hate. Yeah. There's no, there's no way, way, way around that. But with right. all of that, being, with all of that being said, um, I always thought it was, you know, and also, well, I'm, I'm, and by the way, I'm watching the opening. They're not. They're singing the national. They're singing the national anthem. They're not. They're, it's yeah. not the Negro national. They're singing the the, the national anthem. Um, but um, I look at it also like this. Michael Jordan, again, say what you want about his politics, say what you want ever. Here was, at that time, the, the most identifiable athlete in the world, and he wanted to play your sport. So what did you do? Bag it, Michael. Oh, he's taking a job away from a guy that couldn't have the thing or what have you. 
And see, when you look at baseball's history, whenever baseball has had an opportunity, in a sense, to go outside the box and, and say, like, hey, this is great, this, you know, you would think that they would say, here is the greatest, arguably the greatest um, athlete in the world right now, and he wants to play our game. But yeah. instead, you had, you know, you had these old crackers like Bob Feller. Ah, he, he won't be able to play. Now, mind you, Bob Feller also, you know, said disparaging things about Jackie Robinson when he first came up. So, oh, but see, but see, my point is, base when baseball is given the opportunity to really do something and to really whatever they drop the ball and they drop the ball miserably. They yeah. drop the ball miserably. And, and, those and, the opportunities. Is, and, and the thing about it is it's not just this generation. It's a, it's been in their history of doing right. it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I, like you said, it, it's, it's probably incumbent on us to, to do the right thing and, um, and, you know, really promote the game um, and and see what happens because like you said we're heading towards Jackie Robinson numbers in baseball uh, the numbers are going down but rest oh, in it's greatness going it's going rest to. In, it's going to. rest it's going to. right rest in greatness to Lou Brock Hall of Famer um, as he um, goes to a better place uh, before you we, we go um, I, I we've talked about this before the game's about to tip off. Kansas City fans are the seventeen thousand. I think they're supposed to be there. Are going to enjoy out. the game, mm-hmm. but are you really thinking that people that get liquored up going to practice social distancing, especially if Kansas City scores a touchdown or just something crazy or Pat Mahomes goes off, that they're really going to do that? It's a disaster waiting to happen. T. I, I really believe it. And I know uh, football numbers, they, they've been good numbers in terms of COVID-19. Not a lot of people. A lot of uh, some of their trainers and some other people, but not players, per se. Um, so they're feeling good about themselves. But, I, I you know, 17,000 people spread out with alcohol just doesn't seem like it's going to work for me. I don't think it's going to work. Tick, 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 tick. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't lose way. Now, the rumor was that they're making folks sign waivers. I don't know if it's, I don't know how true that is. And, uh, and now there are certain cities, there are certain states where they, like where they have said, no, no, we're not having it. I think Philly is one. Uh, I think New York, uh, New Jersey is one as well. Um, All you got to do is go down political lines. Missouri is definitely a Republican state. Uh, So, yeah, no no surprise. But see, this is more of the NFL, you know, we don't give a damn. They don't give a damn about the players. They don't give a damn. And and please please spare me the whole, you know, them, you know, they have written on the field, we're all in this together and end racism and all that. And that's, again, um. It's 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 again. They they can they can do the symbolism because it doesn't cost them anything. Are you going to you know see? To me, the true change is when policy is changed. When you see you know when we're there when there is no need to have the Rooney Rule. 
when you have all when you know when things are done. What well, this way? When the best man qualified gets the job. When right. the best player qualified gets the job. That doesn't happen on all of these sports, especially in the NFL. And see, this year, even more so. There, this is a money grab. This is a money grab. And right. I give it, I give it, I give it eight weeks because the thing is, say what you want about, say what you want about the NBA and the NHL. They did it right. They're doing it right. No one has tested positive, and no one has, you know, whatever. Other, you know, other than my, my, my man's little incident uh, for the Clippers, and that was a long. And this was before the bubble even got started. So, right, it, you know, we'll see. And, and and the sad thing is, it'll probably take a player dropping dead before they say, "Hey, maybe this wasn't a good idea." Right, and the NFL, like most leagues. The CEOs, I don't like to call them owners anymore. They don't own it. But the CEOs of this this league, they're going to put the athletes, the players, on an island. So if the the players decide they don't want to stand for the anthem, if they don't want to do it because of COVID, the fans come after them. The CEOs sit back and go, hey, I mean, you know, we did, we, we, we're all in this together. We put the, the signs out there. We've, we right. put, we right. dump money into it. But the players are the ones that are going to get all the criticism, whether they stand, sit, play, don't play, whatever the case, you're going to have the scrutiny from media and the fans and everybody else under the sun against them. Well, well see, first of all, the mainstream media has to blame for this as well because they keep calling it an anthem protest. They keep calling it a flag protest. Right. For the last goddamn time, when Colin Kaepernick protested, he was protesting the shooting of unarmed black men and black women by the police. It had nothing to do with the flag. It had nothing to do with the anthem. It had nothing to do with the military. But because if you say certain buzzwords and white folks are into symbolism, if you push the lie loud enough and long enough, people will believe it. I had to right. check a buddy of mine another day. Why are they still protesting the flag? After I called them a, an expletive name, I said, they're not, they haven't, they're not protesting the flag, you idiot. Right. And for you to for you to even for even for that to come out of your mouth, it just lets me know your head is buried more up your ass than 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 than, than you think. And right. at that point, and, and see, you still have folks that are buying into that narrative that this is a flag protest, that this is a anthem protest. This is a flag protest. That this is a right. And when you you think about it too, um, the the fact is that. You know, even Roger Goodell at this point never even gave love to Colin Kaepernick. He didn't say, man, we messed up and then listen. He said, I get it, which is nothing, basically. Uh, just like there are nothing signs and, and everything else under the sun. And shame on your, your, your friend for not understanding it after this point. Four years later, he's still talking about, 
why he protesting a flag, then you're right. He got his head up his butt pretty deep um, at this point. But we shall see what happens with this. You give it eight weeks. I think it'll be shorter it than that. I give it eight Only because see, because see, come hell or high, because see, come hell or high water, they're going to, they're going to push, they're going to, they're going to push, you know, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to ride this, they're going to, you know, forgive my friends, but they're going to ride this whore out as long as they can. Right. Make that money. Make that money. T, as always, I appreciate you, man. We'll talk next week. And, um, Again, the rest in power and greatness to, to Lou Brock and his family. Thank you, sir. Take care, man. All right. Tony T. Mac McLean, of course, uh, of uh, BASN Newsroom dot com. You can check it out there. That's it for us. If you miss any part of the broadcast, go to our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime, bachelor with a T, bachelornews.airtime.pro. The show airs at 8 a.m and 3 p.m. every single day at the website. So if you missed this part of this broadcast, you can go there and check out the rebroadcast along with other broadcasts and music and sports and everything under the sun. Enjoy the rest of your evening. We will talk uh, very soon, uh, next week. Um, and make sure you follow us on Facebook at Pad Nation, Pad Nation, the number two at Twitter, L.A. Bachelor Instagram. And if you have any questions, comments, you want to advertise, you want your own show, hit us up at labachelor40 at gmail.com. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network and WCOM in Chapel Hill. Continue to watch and listen on Facebook Live. Written all over your face. Hey, Yo, Larry, man, you think you can sing this song today? But
Welcome back to the Bachelor News Radio Show. One other uh, programming note. Uh, you heard some music from the Root Boys written all over your face. More of those sounds and love songs are on now, from now until midnight, at our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Tune in for Whisper Softly. Here's some music from Stevie Wonder. On the show. Over time, I've been building my castle of love. Just for you, though you never knew you were my reason. I've gone much too far for you now to say that I've got to throw. My castle way over dreams I am big out of perfect come true Though you never knew it What would you wise and dreaming The Sandman has come from two Away for you to say, Come back some other day. And though you don't believe that they do, they do come true. For did my dream come true when I looked at you? And maybe true if you would believe, you too might be overjoyed. Over Maybe with the kids you will find 
phone lying Don't tell the truth Don't you dare You can't drop me Cause you still got me After taking me way up Yeah. 